Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you're a visitor guest today, my name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're joining us by way of audio or video podcast or Facebook Live, uh, God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us. I'm in the middle of a sermon series entitled Best Sermon Ever. When I say best sermon ever, I'm not talking about anything I'm preaching or have ever preached or will preach. I'm talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It is uh, perhaps the best sermon ever, greatest sermon ever. Um, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're picking up today. Notice I'm skipping over a part of uh, chapter 6. Way back, first part of the year, Wade Harris, my son, and I both were doing a sermon series entitled uh, CrossFit. We covered a lot of what was in Matthew 6 early in the year, so I've just sort of decided to move on and go a little bit deeper in the passages that we haven't preached yet, and that takes us to Matthew chapter 7 uh, today. Uh, so let's turn there. What is a pet peeve? Anybody heard that phrase, a pet peeve? What's a pet peeve? Yeah, what is it, Christian? Pet peeve is something that you can't stand, yeah. And other people may not have the same problem you do with it, but it annoys you, it peeves you. It's your pet peeve, all right? So give me an example. Who's got a pet peeve they might share with the group? Yeah, Coy. When the sound guy lets, yeah, man, that... Peeves me when the sound guy lets something weird happen in church. Yeah. Somebody else? Pet peeve? Who's got one? Kiana? Loud eaters. Food sounds. Yeah, food sounds. Anybody live with a loud eater? Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, Kiana, you better not go home with half these people because uh, you'd murder somebody. Pet peeves, keep going. Let's keep them going. Yeah, Brandon. Oh, I couldn't care less. That phrase bothers you. Because they should say, I, I could care less. Now you, yeah. <laughs> but it bothers you. Yeah. Can't explain why, but it really bothers. Yeah. Keep them going, pet peeves. Who's got them? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, somebody pull out in front of you like, like the end, and then they just go a block and turn again. Yeah. Yeah, my thing is slow drivers, y'all. I just I actually just slow people. Like, uh, and if they're walking, I got behind a lady and her husband admires, and God bless them. They're doing the best they could, but I was about to just lay down and just let them roll over me. I mean, it just could not. I couldn't walk that slow. Couldn't walk any slower. And then slow drivers. Uh, oh my goodness! I just I could drive off a cliff. Um, slow drivers. Keep going. Pet peeves. Uh, yeah, Ronnie. Fingernail clipping in church. Yeah, I know some of you do it. You just got that hangnail. Uh, and yeah, I know you got to do it sometime. I get it. But yeah, fingernail clipping in church, I, I, that, that's one of my, yeah. If you got to do it, I understand. I'd rather you be well-groomed. But, uh, but yeah, I just, every little snip, I, I hear that. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. What else? Cutting in line. Line cutters. Oh, line cutters. Yeah, cutting in line. That's bad. What else? I hate when you go to the dentist and they put like two hands in your mouth and then ask you a question. Say, so, how, how am I supposed to? Uh, what else, Pepe's? Yeah, what do you got? What is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Parents have put a Wi Fi control at the house. Your new pet peeve. 
Yeah. I know. Yeah. Good parenting, though. Way to go. Way to go. Pet peeves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people that talk through movies, or, or actually in my house, and it's my wife, and I love her, y'all. I've been married 30 years, but she talks through the news. It's like she's talking about the news, but she talks about the news while I'm watching the news. And then it's like she'll talk through a story, then ask me what they just said. And it just drives me crazy. Talking through movies, talking through the news. Yeah, that, that drives me nuts. What else? Yeah, Becca. Yeah, when they keep, they, they keep asking what you said, you have to say it over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, what'd you say? Say that again. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah, people who don't know how the drink machine operates just drives me nuts. You know those Coke machines now that are kind of in Wendy's and all the fast food places, and it's got a big touch screen, and they're really cool. they got the ice and all of that, but I'm always behind the person who somehow has never seen one until today. It's like, oh, please, just let me, tell me what you want. I'll get it for you. You know, they're just like pushing and swiping, and oh, gosh, drives me crazy. Any more pet peeves? Because I could go on. Yeah, Barry? Yeah, the slow driver in the left lane of the interstate. Yeah, that's the passing lane. Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. It's a, Barry's my cousin, y'all. It's in our family, y'all. We can't, we, can't, we can't deal with slow people. Yeah, Chris? Oh, now, 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 now you're making people mad. Yeah. How many of you do the wash? Yeah. Wash. Got a washing machine. Yeah. But don't say that because the word is wash. Wash. Yeah. All of us Baptists. I grew up being washed in the blood of the lamb, y'all. We, we used to sing, are you washed? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> We are often fascinated and focused on the behavior of others. We get really interested, annoyed um, about the way other people behave and respond. Question today is, do you think Jesus has any pet peeves? Because I have a feeling he does, and I have a feeling that Jesus' pet peeve is self-righteous people like me. Which takes us to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, this is a passage that... Literally, everybody seems to at least be able to quote the first quarter of the first verse, but Jesus has much more to say than just the first two words. So let's read Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. These are Jesus' words. Judge not, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite? First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. How many of you have heard that before? Hear it again. Do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others, the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. 
First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Judge not. Comes to judging, Jesus has one word, don't. Judge not. It's, it's interesting, this is probably one of the most popular things Jesus ever said. People love this. People who don't go to church, people who've never read the Bible, people who can't tell you anything else Jesus said, they can tell you that the Bible says judge not. Everybody knows that. And as I say, this is probably the most popular thing Jesus has said. Why is it so popular? Very simple reason. Nobody wants to be judged. I don't want to be judged. You don't want to be judged. Nobody wants to be judged. So when Jesus says judge not, he's got our full attention. We are all on board with this. Nobody wants to be judged. Go Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Judge not. I mean, everybody knows this verse. People can quote this verse. I hear it all the time. Nobody wants to be judged. So what are we talking about? What's it mean to be judged? Tell me, what are we talking about here? Jesus is forbidding a very specific kind of behavior. What's he forbidding? It's that tendency that we have. Andy Stanley preaches a phenomenal sermon on this passage, by the way. And Andy Stanley defines judging as to size somebody up and write them off. You size them up and write them off. What's it mean to size somebody up? You form an opinion about them and then write them off. In other words, you've, you've, you've formed an opinion, now you can close the book. You know, Size them up, write them off. Nobody likes to be sized up and written off. Can we just admit that? Nobody likes that. You've perhaps been judged unfairly in your life. You didn't like that. I've been judged unfairly. I didn't like that. Nobody wants to be judged. And so Jesus says very, very plainly, very clearly, judge not. Do not judge or you will be judged. It's clear. One of the clearest words in all the scripture. So if Jesus says it, Jesus says it so plainly and nobody wants to be judged, why do we judge? Well, why do we judge others? Because we do. Some of us more than others, but most any of us can fall into this trap of judging others. We don't want to be judged. We don't like it when other people judge, but there's just something really pleasurable about judging other people. What does it do for us? Well, why does it make us feel so good? Here's some answers. Why do we judge? Yeah, it, it lets me feel superior. It lets me feel better than, than other people. And honestly, that's just a good feeling. If, if judging doesn't feel good to you, you're, you're doing it wrong. I mean, understand that there's just this incredible pleasure that comes from feeling like I'm better than somebody else. Judging feeds that, 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 that part of me that I would say is self-righteous. We judge because we're self-righteous. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it is self-righteousness which Jesus continues to condemn. It is the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. What did Jesus say in the very beginning? Unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the Pharisees and the scribes, their righteousness must go deeper further because their righteousness is all self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. In other words, I'm righteous in myself. My self is righteous. So we judge because we really enjoy being right and making everybody else wrong. So when I judge, what, my, what I'm saying is, uh, my opinion is right, yours is wrong. The way I do this is right, and the way you do it is wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And it's that air of superiority that comes over us. It makes us think that we can judge. And I repeat it, it's, it's pleasurable. 
See, if I can judge, if I'm in that situation, that means I get to point out the faults in other people. And, and as long as we're doing that, we're not paying any attention to my faults. It's an amazing kind of distraction and a deception. It's that idea of just keeping the focus on other people and the things they do wrong so that we never have to talk about the things that, that perhaps I'm doing wrong. We don't even bring that up. We judge because we are self-righteous. Jesus opposes self-righteousness, perhaps more than anything else, maybe more than any other kind of sin. Self-righteousness is, is a particularly evil kind of sin. It's devastating. Now, why is it that Jesus is so opposed to self-righteousness? Remember what the Bible says, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The next verse, but God sent not his son into the world to judge the world, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus has come to save people, everybody. Jesus has simply come for that reason, not to judge, but to save. But a self-righteous person is very, very difficult to save for the very simple reason that they don't really think they need saving. They don't really need a savior. They don't need someone to forgive them of their sins because in their minds, they don't have any sin. They don't think about their sin. They can excuse their sin. They can talk about their sin and make it sound like a good idea. They can talk about their sin and make it sound like they had no choice or maybe they're doing God a favor. I mean, self-righteousness is an incredible kind of trap. You'll never ever turn to Jesus because deep down you don't think you need him. If you think you have righteousness of your own, then you never turn to, to receive the righteousness that Christ brings. You understand? So we judge because of this self-righteousness, and this self-righteousness in itself is a particularly demonic kind of sin because it blocks us from receiving the gospel that Jesus himself died to bring us. We judge because we are self-righteous. So when I judge, I judge out of self-righteousness, and, and that means that I get to sort of set the standard. If, if I'm the one doing the judging, then I get to sort of decide the standard of judgment. And so obviously, I'm always going to choose the things I'm not guilty of. I'm going to talk about the sins that, that, that you're guilty of, but I'll manage never to talk about mine. That's what some people say, you know, Pastor Tim, I don't judge. I, I just like to take a moral stand. I like to stand on the Bible. No, you like to read the Bible and then stand on somebody's throat. I mean, I mean that, that's what you like to do. You tell yourself that you're standing on the Bible, but honestly, if it's the Bible that you love, you would soon discover that the Bible is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It doesn't just manage to condemn the people you don't like. It would cut you too. If you'd actually read the Bible, and if the Bible really mattered to you, you would soon find out that there's a whole lot in there, and honestly, you could spend the rest of your life just applying it to yourself. So why don't you? That's sort of what Jesus is saying here. This self-righteousness causes us to see other people's faults from a mile away in the fog, but we never manage to see any faults in ourselves. It's that self-righteousness that makes us want to judge. And it is that self-righteousness that Jesus opposes. Judge not, verse 1, and you will not be judged. Verse 2, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. 
Okay, you heard that, right? You understand what that says. Judge not, don't judge, or you will be judged. The standard that's used in judging other people, that's going to come back to you. The way you judge is going to be the way you, you get judged. It's kind of like the, the it, it, it's like the golden rule on steroids here. It's like, um, uh, you know, judge not others, you know, so that they, it, it, it's that judge unto others as they would have you judge unto you. It's that sort of idea that, that this comes back on you. You understand? So the question becomes, how do you want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? Because Jesus says the way you judge is the way you will be judged. So how do you want to be judged? Well, I can answer that one. Not. You know, I, I don't want to be judged. The, the answer is not. I don't want you judging me. I don't want any of you judging me. I don't want anybody else on earth judging me. I don't want to be judged. So I just say, I I don't want to be judged. The answer, how do you want to be judged? I I don't. Don't judge me. I don't don't want to be judged. But if I'm going to be judged, I want to be judged mercifully. I want to be judged by somebody who loves me. I want to be judged by somebody who knows me. If you're going to judge me, You need to know something about me, and I promise you, you don't know enough to judge me. If you're going to judge me, you need to know where I came from. You know something about my life. You need to know about how my parents were crazy. You know, you need to know something about where I went to school. You need to know something about the way I grew up. You need to understand something about my, my alcoholic grandfathers. You would need to understand a whole lot more than you know. You would need to know something about the way I was raised, something about my education, something about my fears, something about my, my, something about my anxiety. You would just need to know so much than you know, and that's the point. You don't know enough. You don't ever know enough about another person. You do not understand what you think you understand. You don't know what you think you know. There is not one of us who knows enough to be the judge of anybody So the only person who is qualified to judge is the Lord, and he is the judge, the only judge. He's the only one who knows. He knows me. He knows you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He's been there every single day of your life. He's never taken his eyes off you. He knows. He knows the depths of your heart, your fears, your anxiety. He knows your temptation. He knows you, and he is the authority to judge you but the only authority to judge. So anytime I begin to think that I I could judge somebody, I'm actually trying to put myself in the position of God, as if I know enough to judge, as if I'm in the position to judge, as if I have that authority, as if I have that kind of insight. None of us is the judge. None of us will ever be the judge. Jesus and Jesus alone is the judge. So, by the same standard, the same way you judge others, that is the way you would be judged. So, let's just boil this down. When it comes to judging, what's the best advice we could give one another? Mind your own business. It's mind your own business. Other people are other people. Your opinions are your opinions. You really don't like when people are white after Labor Day. Leave everybody alone. If they want to wear white eye, just leave people alone. You don't really think people ought to, you know, squirt ketchup on top of their french fries. You think they should put ketchup in a little paper cup on the side. Leave people alone. 
Just leave people alone. Mind your own business. Your opinions are your opinions, and they don't have to be universally recognized. You're not the judge. You're not anything like that. Just mind your own business. Now, if this sermon ended right here, it was probably a pretty good sermon. Don't judge, but, you know, probably pretty good sermon. The thing is, this is not where Jesus stops. I mean, we go, judge not, and we think we quoted the whole passage, but this is not where this passage ends. So if you really want to understand what Jesus is saying, you've got to keep reading. So keep reading. Verse 3. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? All right. Jesus is actually using some humor here, so recognize that. There's some exaggeration. There's humor. The idea of a log, you know, in in your eye is is ridiculous and funny, but Jesus is making a a very, very important point here. Now, the Gospel of Matthew is, of course, written in the Greek language. Uh, The words that Jesus would use here are are related, that word speck and log. They're both words that refer to uh, uh, some sort of particle of wood. All right. The word for speck there is probably like sawdust. It's a very, very tiny, tiny uh, speck of wood, just a speck of sawdust. Uh, It it could mean splinter. You know what I mean? Just a very, very tiny sliver of wood. It can even mean twig. But Jesus' point here is the smallness of it. It's it's the smallest little speck of wood you can imagine, like like a speck of sawdust. Uh, The other word he uses is log. It could also be plank. The idea here is it's a very large measure of wood. This is a big old honking chunk of wood here. Understand? And Jesus uses these related words, I think, in an important way. In other words, the speck that you see in your friend's eye has something to do with the log it's in yours. It's the same stuff. And honestly, I, I tend to see in you the very kinds of sins that are actually in me. You've heard him say, you know, it takes a liar to spot a liar. You know, there's that sense in which the, the, the things, the, the mess, the, the sin, the, the, the rot that lives in my heart, I, I kind of have a, a, a radar for that. I've got a, a way to measure that. I can spot that in you because it's in me. So verse 3, Jesus says, why worry about the, the, the speck of sawdust in your friend's eye? Now, now right there, Jesus just sort of confirmed that you were right the whole time. You notice that? I mean, you've been saying that girl's got a problem, and Jesus just confirms she does. She got a speck in her eye. You saw it. You called it. Man, you can, you're such a good speck spotter. You can spot a speck in somebody's eye from a mile away in the fog with a wind blowing and sunglasses on. I mean, you can do it. And you called it. And Jesus says it right here. You were right the whole time. She's messed up. She got a speck in her eye. You called it. You saw it. But what does Jesus say about that? Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? By some twisted miracle of blindness or vision, I don't know, you and I are able to see another person's faults from far away the smallest little flaw, we can see it. And yet we can't see the giant problems in our own face. Explain that. 
Explain how you've got such a, a really good barometer for measuring other people's faults, but you never seem to turn that back on yourself. If you've got such a good nose for this stuff, why don't you ever manage to smell the sin that's in your own heart? And this is sort of where Jesus takes this. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. It's amazing what Jesus says here. It's it's amazing the wisdom here. Jesus is saying, when you see that speck in your neighbor's eye, when you see that fault, that flaw, that sin in somebody else, instantly what you need to do is turn that back on yourself. Whatever you think you see in someone else, you need to just stop and look for traces of that in you. That speck in her eye is probably related to the log in your own. In other words, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I made a word up here. Uh, your messed upness. M- messed up. I don't know a better word. Brandon, is this okay? Does this bother you? Is that going to work? <laughs> your messed upness reminds me that I'm messed up too. This is just Jesus. It's just basic, basic wisdom here. Your neighbor's messed upness, when you see how messed up they are, you see the mess in their lives instantly, that's a reminder that you're messed up too. That needs to be your first response. Not, oh my goodness, what a mess she is. No, 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 no. When you spot sin, it should break your heart, first off, wherever you see it. But the sin that should disturb you the most is the sin in you. It's a sin in you. And when you start seeing sin in other people, understand, in some ways, that's a positive step. You need to learn to see it. You need to learn to see sin, but not so that you can go around now and point out everybody else's sin. You need to learn to see it so that you see it in yourself. Jesus says, what a fool you are to think that you're going to take the small flaw out of somebody else's life when your life is so messed up. So your messed upness reminds me that I'm messed up too. Does this make sense? Are y'all mad at me? Your messed upness reminds me that I'm messed up too. So Jesus says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Remember, we talked about the problem. The root sin here is self-righteousness. The cure for self-righteousness is self-awareness. It's just impossible for me to condemn you, to size you up and write you off with a speck in your eye when I know that I have a log, a much bigger problem in my own life. That, that awareness brings humility. That awareness brings wisdom. That awareness puts you in the very, very right place for God to begin to do something really beautiful in your life. That self-awareness is is, is critical. So when you begin to notice that other people have a sin in their life, then that just needs to be turned back. You need to use that newfound power to diagnose the problem in your own life. You have a log in, in your eye. So what does Jesus say? So 
when you see that your friend has that speck in your eye, what's it say? Verse 5, first, first what? First, get rid of the log in, in your own eye. I would say it this way. First, fix you. First, fix you. Now, let's just be really, really honest. If, if, if you become project number one for you, it's going to take you a long time. You're going to be preoccupied with fixing you for a long time because you've got a lot to fix. Just saying. I do too. There's a lot in me. Now, I got saved when I was six years old. That was 1971. I'm 53 now. So I've been walking with Jesus for something like 47 years. So, so I've been at this for, for nearly 50 years, trying to let Jesus just fix me. Early on, it was kind of easy, you know, but, but now after these years of walking with Jesus, you know, we're, we're still getting deeper and deeper in, in, in this old man's heart. And the things that are down there now, the things that I encounter now when Jesus begins to show me myself, y'all, this is stuff that's been down there a long time, and it's, it is hard to pull it up by the roots. I'm saying after 47 years, I'm not done with this yet, and I don't think you are either. If you're honest about the person you are, if you're honest about the way, the way you live your life contradicts the things you believe about Jesus, if you're honest about that, we've all got a lot of work to do on ourselves, we got logs in our eyes, and, and, and it may be true that other people got some specks, but you know, I can't, I can't help you with your speck because I've got a log in my eye. I've got to fix me first. And this is what Jesus says. You've got to take very, very seriously the, the mess in your life. You've got to learn to see that, to, to see the log, to see the major problems in your own life, and stop acting like it's not there. Stop trying to distract attention by pointing out other people's mess. No, you just fix you. You deal with you. You get honest about yourself. Deal with yourself. Okay, but notice this. This is Jesus' word. Jesus says first. So if somebody says first, that means what? He's about to say something else. So there's first, and then there's after that. Now, I just said, if first is fixed me, I'm going to be about this for a long time. It's going to be a long time before I get to the next part. But what does Jesus say? Verse 5. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So what does Jesus say? First, fix you. Then help your friend. First fix you, then you can see. Once the plank is out of your eye, then you can see clearly. It's like the old song, I can see clearly now the plank is gone. Get that. Uh, once the plank is, is, is removed from your eye, then you can see clearly how to help your friend. This is the gospel. Understand, earlier we are saying mind your own business. Minding your own business doesn't help anybody. Jesus didn't die on the cross, give you a new heart so that you could just mind your own business. Jesus intends to give us a new heart, and that turns us out toward other people so that we know how to love people and love people truly and appropriately from, a, from an honest heart. Self-righteousness removes our ability to love people, uh, love people well. But I'm telling you, once we confess that sin, and once Jesus begins to work on our heart, then we begin to reach the place where we can approach our friend in an appropriate way, in a loving way. 
Haven't you ever had somebody who loved you enough to, to point out something that, that needed to be pointed out in your life? Has it never happened to you? Because if nobody's ever done that for you, my heart breaks for you. You don't have any true friends. The beginning of American Idol every season when they put the people like the auditions and there are people that just can't sing. There's just horrible singers and we all laugh at them. There's a part of me that gets so sad for those people because what that tells me is there's nobody in their life who could say, honey, you can't sing. You probably shouldn't go on TV because you can't sing. That's not judging. That's not judging. At that point, that's being a good friend. And sometimes you need a good friend, somebody who loves you enough to come up and say, listen, I see something in your life. And, And probably the reason I see it so well is I have been where you are. That, that same kind of speck that's in, in, in your life right now, I had it in a major way. It's not judging. I mean, the Bible says judge not, but that doesn't mean care not. The Bible says judge not, it doesn't mean help not. It's what Jesus does in our lives. He, he comes in and he makes me face my own sin. I mean, when I come to Jesus, it's my sin that, that, that sort of first is, the, is, is the, what blocks my relationship. But, but once I confess that sin, that very sin becomes the bridge. He, he forgives me, and I step over that, and I, and I go and, and enjoy life with Christ. But, but if you'll never acknowledge your sin, it will block the relationship forever. That's how the relationship begins, and that's how it continues. I I confess my sin. I try to stay honest about the mess that's in me. And the more honest I am, the better able I am than to help others with the mess in their lives. It works the same way for you. I've been your pastor for 22 years. I would pray by this point you all love me enough to tell me what you would need to tell me, to correct whatever needed to be corrected. I would trust that you love me that much. Nobody wants to be sized up and written off, but I certainly wouldn't want you to size me up and walk away. Jesus says you, you take care of the mess in your own life. You, you fix you. you. You see to the log, the major problem of sin that you have. Once you go to work on that, You'll be able to see more clearly how to actually help other people. Jesus isn't coming back around and now seeing that it's okay to judge. No, you will never be the judge of other people. And when we get to this level of friendship where we're able to go to one another and be honest about what we see and honest about what we've been through and honest about where the help is, you know, that's not judging that's just loving one another. It's just loving one another well. We need to learn to love each other well. Pray with me.